You're listening to the Paranormal Pursuit, hosted by Bobsy from 99.7 The Mix and Larry Wilson from the Urban Paranormal Investigation. You're not alone. We're not alone. The Paranormal Pursuit will keep you company. Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Pursuit. My name is Bonzi. Larry Wilson is sitting straight across from me. How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. So, and real quick, I want to address something before we get into our episode five, Velisca Part One. Um, someone messaged me, Larry, and said, "Hey, have you listened to your opening, your show opening? There's something behind your opening. There's some staticky stuff, and I think I'm hearing voices inside your Paranormal Pursuit open." Oh, really? And there is, yes. Okay, but. <laughs> Is that just? Uh, I put it there. I mean, just, oh. that was some effects that I used to kind of make it sound a little more creepy. And I'm glad someone finally picked up on it. <laughs> well, that's good. So yeah, I put in a little like you know poltergeisty kind of like you know white noise, if you will, yeah. and, and some voices back. And they were like, "Oh my gosh, I thought that was like some some like ghost that you picked up before you." I was like, "Hey, you never know." Larry and I have had some weird things happen. In this studio before, yeah, that have uh, that have freaked us out a little bit, and you've had that happen in in, in multiple places. And most and all of it was related to talking about Velisca. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, little was was it was it was it that when when the station like shut down? That was after our 2015 investigation <laughs> that you guys went with me. Remember? That's crazy. And the man. whole all the power was knocked out, and the only building in the neighborhood that was knocked out was this one. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And, 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 so Velisca guys is the real deal. It's known as the Axe Murder House. And right. Again, wouldn't you say that that that, that Velisca? If if you talk to people, you you talk to more paranormal people in the community than I do. If you bring Velisca up, would nine out of ten people know what you're talking about? Let me give you an example. The first time that that I went there, June of 2008, went with a couple of buddies. But anyhow, we we stopped in the local Casey's there just to pick up some stacks and water for the night, and we started to pay. And the lady at the counter says, "Are you guys staying in a murder house tonight?" I mean, so that tells you the people that come to town. That's what they do. The strangers that come to town. That's what they're that they're there for. So let me actually uh, take a little detour here, if you will, and um, talk about how, again, popular and famous this Velisca house, murder house, the axe murder house really is. Every TV show that I've ever seen or watched has done a trip to this place. Yeah. Ghost Hunters. Uh, paranormal encounters. Uh, there was another ghost. I forget who the uh, ghost adventures. Zach Baggins, right. you know the one that right. everyone knows about. They've gone, and they've all had something, whether it be a, a creepy feeling or a uh, experience or EVPs. They've all had something happen, right? You know, right? So it's the real deal. It's, again, it's a, a, a legit thing that is uh, that is going down. And one of the clips that I pulled up, just so people can get a taste of, again, what we're going to be talking about here. And, and Larry's going to get into the whole history. He's going to tell you what happened, what the uh, alleged uh, murders that, 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 that took place. Well, not alleged. They, they did happen. Yeah. Uh, but, again, nobody was ever caught. Nope. Right? No one was ever arrested. They have suspects, but we'll get to that, too. Right. 
But I want to just play a clip from one of the investigations that the Ghost Adventures did with Zach Baggins. And this was back on their return. They went there once. They had some experiences, but they went back again. And this is from their episode that aired in June, was it 2013. I want you to listen closely to this. He actually is holding the axe, and you can see the axe. You right. can. They, they have it in a, like a little, little sh- shop yeah, right next to it, thing. right? Right. So right. he, they let him bring the axe inside. You, you've held the axe. I wouldn't yeah. hold the axe. Yeah. And that'll go into some of the stuff that we talk about when well, we went on our investigation. The owner of the house, who's since passed, Darwin Lynn, when, when right, I right. investigated there, he told me that he used to leave the axe in the house. But one time, a, a, a psychic came up to him and said, "Look, you really need to take that out of there because if something happens to someone where." Whatever is here, yeah, or possessors or whatever you want to call it, this is risky. Yeah. So he, after that, took it out. Right. So it, it, and so Zach Baggins grabs the axe. He brings it inside and he starts asking questions. And I mean, you can agree with him or disagree with him on how he goes about his investigations. He actually tries to call out certain, you know, spirits and yeah. and 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 wants to challenge them, if you will. And again, is is it is a lot of it Hollywood? Who knows? Uh, this was recorded. This was caught on tape. And we're going to play that for you right now. This was the EVP that Zach Baggins got while holding the axe in the axe murder house at Villisca. Here it is. Is this where you hid the night that you brutally killed this family? Is this the axe that you used to kill eight people? Just then, my digital recorder captured an EVP that sounds like an evil spirit laughing at my questions. Is this the axe that you used? Produced? Produced? To kill eight people? So there you go. Um, There's something there that shouldn't be there. Right, right. (laughs) And that sounds like laughter to me. And then, of course, next week, we'll play an EVP. I've recorded laughter several times in that house, and it's laughter. It's not staticky laughter. It's right. laughter. Yeah. And it's – who knows? And it, sometimes it sounds like a – not a fun laugh. No. I mean, yeah. that, that did not sound like a fun laugh at all. No. All right. Um, so Larry Wilson, the paranormal pursuit, begins with Velisca, part one. Uh, Larry's going to give you a brief introduction into the home if you've never heard of Aliska before, which, I again, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I think it's hard to believe. But um, why don't you go ahead and, and run down that brief history of, of that home? Well, Villisca itself, it's it's located 80 miles southwest of uh, Council Bluffs in Montgomery County, Iowa. has a population of about 1,300 people, which was about the same population as when the murders happened. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, primarily a farming community, uh, but... The town's legacy are the axe murders. Um, the house was built 1868, so you're talking just right after the Civil War, and it sits on lot 310 in Villisca. Um, after the, the murders, the house was owned by eight different you know families or people. Uh, Darwin Lynn is the last um, owner of the house, and his wife, Martha, still owns it. Darwin passed away several years ago, but they own the house. Um, the city wanted to tear it down. And Darwin said, you know, to the at, the at a council meeting, you know, whether you like it or not, this is the town's legacy. So he got it restored and put on the National Historical uh, Register. And so the house is still there. Uh, what I think is kind of eerie is the address of the house is 508 East 2nd Street in Villisca. The address of the Sally House, which we've mentioned before in Atchison, Kansas, 
is 508 North 2nd Street. And they're the both, both the same type of, of homes. I mean, there's negative activity going on there. Uh, but anyhow, the, the, the house itself, it's a white two-story house. It's real small. has like an A-frame attic uh, on the second floor. Uh, the downstairs consists of a kitchen, pantry, parlor, and bedroom. Uh, the upstairs has a loft-style uh, open bedroom as you come up to the top of the stairs, which was Joe and Sarah Moore, two of the murder victims. It was their bedroom. And then just past this bedroom on the left is the A-frame-style attic. And a short distance past that is the children's bedroom. So really, really small house. But uh, It looks bigger from the outside. It really, yeah, really does. When you yeah. get inside, it's really – the rooms are really small. And it is kind of like a – you know, if you're claustrophobic, you know – you could have some of those feelings really quick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you're probably back in the day, it was probably a fairly good sized right. home, you know. So, so what, explain the murders now. Explain actually what went down, what people think went down, what are the facts, what are the, you know, because really no one is, was ever arrested for this. Uh, one person. Well, yeah, was. I'm sorry. No one, one was, was ever, no one was ever convicted, convicted or put in jail for this. Right, right. Um, well, it all started basically June 9th, 1912. Um, Joe Moore and his wife, Sarah, took their four children, uh, Herman, age 11, Catherine, 10, Boyd, 7, and Paul, 5. And then they also took family friends, Ina Stillinger, age 8, and her sister, Lena Stillinger, age 11. It was They were taking them to the Children's Day service at the local Presbyterian church. But little did they realize, you know, that night when they're walking home, they just had a few hours to live. I mean, this, this was going to be their last night uh, alive. Um, they're not sure the exact time. And they're not sure if it was a killer or killers that entered the house. But uh, most who have researched the case believe that they entered sometime after midnight. Um, others believe that the killers hid out in the attic located between the, the parents and the children's bedroom. And you've been in that attic. So I find it kind of hard that someone could have hidden that attic. Because you're so close. And there's two doors leading into the right, attic. Right, right, you have to right. go through two doors to right, get right, out. Right. So and, and the parents' bedroom is right there. So I don't know how anyone could have been silent in that uh, in that house. Right, right, right. But anyhow, and that was uh, the only spot that actually anything ever happened to me at all. Yeah, and, and we yeah. got an interesting photo that yeah. you probably post at yeah, some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyhow, yeah, they they don't know exactly where the killers hid. But anyhow, um, sometime um, after midnight, uh, the killers, you know, entered either went upstairs or were already upstairs. They believe they killed Joe and Sarah Moore first. They they hit them in the face with the blunt uh, end of the axe. And Darwin Lynn told me, uh, and I read this also in some of the, the older newspaper articles, that with each swing of the axe, the blunt or the, the blade of the axe hit the ceiling, the A-frame type ceiling upstairs, and then they struck the victims. After they killed Joe and Sarah, they walked a short distance down the hallway and then bludgeoned all the children in their bedroom. And you know, experts are not sure how the children downstairs, Ina and Lena Sillinger, they were they were they stayed all night and they were staying in the bedroom downstairs. They're not sure how the noise of this commotion upstairs didn't wake them up, and they couldn't have got out of the house. But the killer or killers, when they went downstairs, either they just didn't know the children in the bedroom and then later discovered them down there, or they they somehow knew they were there. They went into the bedroom and killed both Ina and Lena. And then after they were were dead, um, they covered Joe and Sarah Moore with uh, sheets, and then they covered the children with clothing items. And then they also, which was weird, uh, they covered the mirrors with uh, with like bed linens and stuff, just so they couldn't see the reflection in the mirror. And, and what I was told was there were some kind of uh, beliefs by certain 
um, you know, people from some countries that if you see your reflection in the mirror after someone is dead, that you'll you'll also die. So right. They think that's part of the reason. They also found a slab of uncooked bacon. Yeah, that, that was weird. Yeah, yeah. They found that downstairs under like a little nightstand or whatever you want to call it. Um, some believe that they use that to throw like rub the bacon on their bodies and to throw off the scent of the of maybe tracker dogs. And others believe there was some kind of sexual perversion done with Ugh. it, you know, so they really don't know. Okay. Yeah. So basically then the next morning, a local neighbor, Mary Pickham, she lived right next door. The house is still there. And, I, and I've, I've actually been in that house one time. But anyhow, um, she went out the next morning and she noticed that the Moore family hadn't done their chores. So basically she tried to, you know, knock on the door, no answer. So she called Joe Moore's brother, Ross. Ross came down, had an extra key to the house, unlocked the, the house, went in. Uh, he went into the downstairs bedroom, discovered Ina and Lena Stillinger, and it was just like a bloody mess. So mm-hmm. he contacted local sheriff Hank Horton, who came and then discovered the rest of the bodies. So again, this crime happens horrific crime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um immediately, I don't care what year, what time, what age, you know, you want to find the killer. Yeah. That what? never happened for a long time. One of the things that really went wrong was when the murders, when it got out that there had been murders that night, the local townspeople came and they started going through the house. They they didn't uh, like you know cordon off the area, nothing like that. Uh, they actually had to bring in some national guardsmen to secure the house to keep people out of the house. So people were walking through the house. Who knows what kind of evidence they might have contaminated? Plus, back then, you know, they didn't have uh, fingerprinting capabilities, or it was just at the onset of fingerprinting. Then you, you tell me, and again, you'll you'll go over this right away. They thought it was somebody, right? Like, yeah. Right away, they thought it was somebody, and then it changed the, a couple times. Well, there were suspicions. Uh, one of the prime suspects was a state senator, Frank Jones, Frank F. Jones. Then he was also known as F. F. Jones, but he and Joe Moore. Uh, they they owned the local hardware store together, and they also had the very first John Deere dealership in the state of Iowa. They had you know access to that, and that was at their location. Well, uh, Jones and Moore had a falling out, and and really Joe was the more popular one of the two. Townsfolk liked him, liked dealing with him. Joe ended up starting his own hardware store. Actually, took the John Deere dealership away from Jones. And the other connection between the two is it was believed that Joe Moore was having an affair with with F.F. Jones's uh, daughter-in-law. The senator's daughter-in-law. The senator's daughter-in-law. And then also it's believed that Jones himself was having an affair with the daughter-in-law. So there was kind of a love triangle there. And when I talked to Cheryl the Psychic about later on, she came up. I didn't tell her anything about any of the suspects or anything. And she said it was a love triangle. That's the first thing that came up top of her head. Wow. Love triangle. So, so he was a suspect. Yep. And so was a guy named William uh, Mansfield. They called him Insane Blackie Mansfield. Okay. And they believe, a lot believe, that uh, he was hired by Jones to do the killings. Uh, eerily, eerily enough, um, uh, several years later in Blue, uh, Blue, um, Blue Island, Illinois, uh, Mansfield was a suspect of the murder of his in-laws, his wife, and, and his infant child with an axe. Uh, but he had an alibi. He was like in Kansas City or somewhere that night. Okay. Uh, third suspect would have been a serial killer that was going around the Midwest at that time and, and killed as many as 22 people, um, was uh, was in the, in, in the area. Uh, he was in Paola, Kansas, you know, at one time. Um, they believe that he followed the rail system, which went right, you know, went right through Villisca. So he was a possibility. And others believe that Jones may have, have set the murder up to make it look like it was a serial killing, you know. So, and then the the other was um, there was a um, a minister named Reverend George Jacqueline Kelly. 
Kelly's the only one that ever confessed to the murders, and they're really not sure why he confessed. But uh, he he gave a long uh, a long confession, you know, several years after. I think it was like in 1917, and in his confession, he described um, seeing a black shadowy figure and hearing a voice that caused him to wander down to the the, the Moore house and to kill everyone. And eerily, what he described was much like what I saw and heard when I, you know, returned home after investigating the house. So whether, you know, uh, the reverend did it or not. Um, if he confessed to it, why don't, why don't they think he did it? Well, because it, 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 the confession really didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, maybe the next episode I can read the confession. I'll okay. bring that and I'll read the confession. Okay. Uh, and another thing that, uh, that led some people to believe that he could have been Reverend Kelly was the next morning after the murders on the early train, Kelly was on the train talking about the murders, and the murders hadn't even been discovered yet. Uh, a few days later, Kelly also took a white shirt to the local dry cleaners. I think it was in, in Redbud nearby, which is the county seat, and took it to the cleaners to get bloodstains out of his shirt. You know, and they really don't know. My my theory is this: that if he didn't commit the murders, he was known to be a peeping tom, and I think he was walking the streets that night, and at least peeked through the window, and I think he saw what happened. And he was a, a, a perverted man, and was known to be. And I think he may have molested, you know, one of the, the Stillinger girls because there was one of the girls that had been uh, post-mortem molested. Mm. And it just would make sense that a guy like that would do it. But I don't think he had the, the, the courage to, to perform the murders. So there's the history of the Velisca house, uh, the Axe Murder house. And, uh, again, you can find all of this online. There's lots of videos done on it, documented uh, facts that are posted all over websites. Larry Wilson uh, has been there five times, a total of yeah. five times, and uh, not good experiences for you in your life. Right. Um, go back to 2008. How did it How did it come up for you to go on your first trip? Um, a work buddy and, and an associate of mine, a guy named Jamie, um, he was sort of interested in the paranormal and history, you know, and and actually, he told me that this might be a place I'd be interested in investigating, and and I you know went online and looked it up, and I was surprised. I think I when I when I Googled it, I think I got something like eighty two thousand hits on Velisca Axe Murder House, you know, so it was well known and I had never heard of it. But anyhow, so um we decided to take a trip there in the early part of June of two thousand and eight. And we went. Uh, I went with Jamie and his two sons and uh we didn't have any experiences, didn't record anything. But as I mentioned in our first podcast, I had worked a little bit with a, a documentary a documentary documentarian named Paul Robinson. Um and I contacted Paul, and I said, hey, Paul, and I explained about the murder house and the paranormal uh, aspect of it. And uh, I said, I think this would be a great place to do a documentary. So I gave him the name of the owner. He contacted the owner, Darwin Lynn, and Darwin uh, let us have access to the house free of charge for two days and two nights. Okay. So then we scheduled an investigation and, and to film the documentary uh, September 8th and 9th of 2008 that fall. All right. That was your first time there? First time there. And we've got an EVP from a pre-investigation, right? That that that. No, uh, well, this is from no. This is from the actual investigation. Okay, so yeah. this, this, so this first EVP that we're going to play real quick. Okay, before we start getting into everything, let's play the EVP because you you've gotten a ton of audio, a ton of pictures, and unexplainable stuff. Uh, from the Velisca house, right? Okay, and let me explain one thing real quick before you play it. This was, uh, I entered the house alone. Paul and, and another lady were doing voiceover stuff outside the house the, the afternoon we got there. I had walked in the house and set up some tape recorders. 
I was just announcing, when you'll hear this clip, you'll hear my voice at the end of it, in the first clip anyway, I was announcing, you know, where I was, that kind of thing. But this was recorded as soon as I turned it on and before you even hear me speak. So you hear my voice at the end, and that growly-like voice is something I, I, you know, I never even heard when I was right. there. It's pretty loud. You know, and and I, and I feel like I hear two separate. You know, there's two things said. Two, two. Yeah, I, I feel like I hear two separate, either words, phrases, comments. Um, I don't know if it's two different sounds, but it's it's definitely two different things on there. One more time. Now, I remember when you played that for me the first time, I even said to you, were you mumbling something? I mean, it's were you, were you mumbling? And then no. you're like, no, man, why, <laughs> no. why, why, why would I be mumbling anything? No, it's just me. So, again, you really can't tell what that is. No. You know what I mean? And... You didn't hear that while you were there. Right. right. <laughs> what does anybody else think that is? Has anyone else really listened to it and be like, oh. That- well, no, and I don't think anyone can really tell what that's, that part says. And uh, one thing I want to I add real quick. Um, when we, well, let me add, I'll add it after we play the next, next clip. And so this is the cleaned up version yeah, um, of that clip. You know, after we, I returned home from Velisk, I started going through my, my audio, recorded audio, and, and then I found this, you know, days after, after the investigation. Right. And this is cleaned and up. And this is cleaned up. I feel like I hear something me, me, and then at the end I hear something that I don't really like. Yeah, I think uh, it's I think it's something like you hear is actually, it Satan is like like me. I hear then pause right Satan. Is that what you hear? Yeah, but like the first uh, little voice that you hear, you couldn't hear that uh, on the original clip. But when I took white noise out and raised the volume, what do you want me to tell what I hear? Yeah. I hear, help me. It's a little voice say, help me. And then I hear what I think is a mocking voice say, help me. Then Satan wins. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. God, I hear that Satan wins then. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yep. And that's from your first investigation. That was just, just as soon as I basically stepped foot in the house and set up a few recorders. Oh, my geez. All right. So, Larry, take us through part one yep. of Velisca. Where are we going to start and where are we going to end? We're going to start the afternoon that we arrived there. And, uh, you know, then uh, uh, I'll talk about some of the things that happened while we were there. And then we'll you know, segue in probably into the next episode. Okay. In yeah. the next episode. So, you're going to break it down into three parts. Yep. And this is all about your first trip at Velisca. Right. All right, go ahead. Right. Um, actually, we arrived uh, probably 1.30 in the afternoon, and Darwin Lynn met us at the house. And uh, with me was Paul Robinson, who was a paranormal investigator but also a documentarian, and an actress named Sharon Wright from Kansas City who was going to do the voiceovers for us. 
Yeah, Sharon had never been to a haunted house before. And I will actually say that uh, the whole two days and, and nights that we were there, um, either Paul or I had to go into the house with her. She did not like the house, would not go in the house by herself. Uh, but we arrived about one thirty. Darwin said, hey, you know, before we go into the house, why don't I take you to the local cemetery, show you some of the graves of the victims and some of the alleged suspects, and you guys can film there, which is what we did. And that will be important to the next episode, too, the cemetery part. Uh, but anyhow, we go to the cemetery, you know, we film a little bit, then we go back to the house. We get back to the house about, you know, 2 o'clock, 2.15. And uh, Paul decides that uh, he and Sharon will record some of the voiceover outside, and Darwin wanted to stay and watch, which we said, you know, that's fine. And I said, well, since you guys will be outside and you don't need me for this, I'm going to go inside and set up some tape recorders and just see if I can record anything while you guys are outside. So I go in the house, uh, took a little walk through the house. I mean, Darwin had given us a, a walk through the house. I should add that. And he explained some of the stories and some of his theories on the murders. And his theory is that F.F. F. Jones was the one. And Darwin did a ton of research on this. And uh, he believes it was Jones that had, had the, somebody kill more in the family. But anyhow, uh, I go in the house, everybody else is outside, and I'm upstairs setting, getting ready to set this recorder up that you just heard the EVPs from, when all of a sudden I heard loud footsteps downstairs, somebody walking downstairs, and it's an old rickety house, you've been in it, and every step you take in that house, you, you can hear, hear everything. You hear it, you yeah. do. The so, whole time you're there, you have, to, you, have to, you have to tell each other, hey, that's me that's moving, me. Yeah, just so you don't mistake that for something else. Right, right. So there was no one in the house, and I could hear Paul and Sharon doing their their uh, their voiceover outside. So I knew it wasn't them. So I called out, thinking it might have been Darwin. I called out, "Hey, Darwin, is that you?" And there was no answer. I called out again, "Darwin, is that you?" No answer. So I decided to go downstairs where the footprints or the footsteps were coming from. And it's not a very big downstairs. And I looked all over, and there was nobody there. So I go back upstairs, you know, just kind of check the kids or, or the uh, parents' bedroom that way. You know, when I came through, and there was there was there was nobody in the house. And so I looked out the north window. Well, there's Darwin, you know, in his truck backing out of the driveway. He's leaving. So it couldn't have been Darwin. And then of course Paul and Sharon are outside. So anyhow. Um, I didn't hear the footsteps after that, and I didn't know I had recorded this voice that we just heard, or this growling, whatever you want to call it. So that's how it basically began. Uh, we were you spooked out though when that happened? Were you like, yeah, you like, oh, I mean, yeah, it was it was creepy because I knew what I heard. And I later explained to, to Sharon and, and Paul what I heard, you know, and and of course they said, no, we didn't come in the house, so you know, it wasn't definitely wasn't Ugh. us, you know, and and like I said, Darwin was leaving and he never came in the house, and I did later. Asked Darwin that evening. He took us out to dinner, and I asked him if he returned in the house while I was in there. He said no. That's got to be playing with your mind the whole time you're well, investigating. Well, it did. Yeah, the it whole did. night. It did. And I asked Darwin too. I said, you know, Darwin, and he would never tell me what he saw. Uh, I would say, you know, Darwin, you must have seen some things in this house. You know, you've worked on this house. You restored it. Uh, did a lot of construction here. And he would always look at me and he kind of chuckle and he'd say. Larry, he said, I could tell you some stories. And he would always say that. Larry, I could tell you some stories. He said, I'll tell you one thing. I've worked on this house a lot, but I never work on the house after dark. He said, I would never come in this house after dark, at least by himself. Oh. So anyhow, we had supper with Darwin and, uh, and Martha, his wife. And uh, then we returned to the house about 10 o'clock to start our investigation and, and our filming. Um, I had seen a, a picture on the wall of the parlor downstairs on the, it would be the um, south wall of the parlor. And I wanted to take Sharon in the house and show her. And, and of course, I should add, there's no electricity to running water in this house, or at least there wasn't, you know, back in the days that I investigated it. So anyhow, 
there was no source of light. So I had my flashlight and Sharon and I walk into the house and we walk over to this picture. And I should explain that there's a back door to the house, which we were using to come in. And then there's also a front porch and a, like a, a, a door and a screen door that you can enter from the back side or the front side of the house. So Sharon and I are standing there. I'm shining my light on this photo when all of a sudden there's just a loud bang. And it was like somebody had taken their foot and tried to kick the front door open, which is right next to us. We both jumped. Sharon screamed. And I immediately turned my light toward the door. And I grabbed the door to pull it up because I, my, my thought was that there's probably some kids playing a joke on us, mm-hmm. you know. So I started to grab the door. Then I said, no, I'm going to run outside and go around the house. I'm going to catch these little brats, you know. Mm-hmm. So I ran outside. Sharon, I left her by herself, unfortunately. She, <laughs> she runs outside behind me, which I didn't realize till later. But anyhow, I run around the house shine my flashlight, expecting to see some kids out there, and there was nobody there. So I go up to the door, and as soon as I walked up to the door, shine my light, I noticed that the outside screen door is padlocked. So you couldn't kick what was the inside heavy wood door. You couldn't kick it from the outside. But that whole door vibrated and just jumped out at like somebody was trying to kick it open. I circled around the house, ran into Paul, who was unloading equipment. And he said, no, I, I saw nobody out here, you know. So, But it was just a loud bang, like somebody had took their foot and kicked the door, trying to kick it Jeez. open. And uh, so anyhow, um, we continued our little investigation. Um, you know, we— uh, we did uh, some some different types of uh, testing, like we used copper rods, you know, walking around through the house with copper rods. And at one point, we, we entered the, uh, what I call the blue bedroom, the bedroom downstairs where Ian and Lena Stillinger were killed. And at one point, I picked up the copper rods, and I, I just kind of walked around the room, and I got to the corner, which I guess would be the, uh, would be the um, west corner of the house. And all of a sudden, the rods started spinning counterclockwise of each other. And I don't know if, uh, if folks listening have, have ever used copper rods in, in investigations for anything else. But what you do, these rods are kind of, they're in a bent, like an L shape. You hold them loosely in your hands. And, and the belief is if there's electromagnetic fields or even spirits in, in a house or wherever location you're at, that the rods will move based on the energy. Well, all of a sudden, like I said, these rods started spinning counterclockwise of each other. And they started spinning so fast that I had to hold tight to these rods, and they continued to spin. So I, I showed Paul. He filmed it. And then I said, you try it. And I handed the rods to Paul, and he did the same thing to him. Let me explain something about the rods, too, because when you, when you hear that, if you're like me and you're skeptic, and I actually did this with Larry, I was like, well, those rods, the way they're shaped, you know, there's little handles on them. You know, if you move your hands one way or another, you can get them to do that. So it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> these, I tried so many times to get them to move the same way. I tried to get them to move the opposite ways. I tried to get them to move really fast, and it, you 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 can't. There's no way to control them, even if you're trying. Right. So there's no explanation for those moving that fast at all. That's right. There's not. And uh, I mean, to try to spin your left hand and your right hand in opposite directions, right. it's tough to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very tough to do. That also happened, and we'll talk about this later episodes, but that also happened in the Sally house in the exact area where they said the uh, a psychic Peter James right. said there was And sometimes you'll see people in like TV shows or you'll see people on investigations that'll hold them and they'll move a little bit, you know, to the sides. You know, they'll sway a little bit, but nothing super fast going in circles. That right. just never happens. Right, never. Um, the next day, I mean, nothing else happened that night. The, the very next day, uh, it was in the morning. We were taking a break. 
Um, and, and there's a barn outside. Darwin built a barn, recreated a barn like there was a barn there back in the day of the murders or the days of the murders. So anyhow, um, this kind of the, has electricity in it. You can charge equipment. And we were sitting on the porch of the barn in, in Poland. Is Sharp. that barn the place where you the tourist stuff? It is now. It wasn't then, but okay. they put like a little gift shop okay, and, okay, and, okay, okay. And, and history historical okay. museum in there. But uh, Paul and Sharon were sitting in a porch swing, and I was kind of standing there. And I wanted to tell them a story about Cheryl the Psychic because one thing I didn't mention last week on the episode was when I was there at Cheryl's, uh, all of a sudden she said uh, Sharaka, her spirit guide, which you know, if you don't know what, who Sharaka is, you can go back and listen to episode four. Uh, but anyhow, when I was there, she said, you have, Sharaka says you have severe pains in your legs and your, and your fingers. And I said, well, yeah, I do. She said, well, it's, it's spirit energy that you've picked up from going to different places. And she told me, you know, what I, Sharaka wanted me to do was to go home that night, take a sea salt bath, say a prayer to God to ask the God to send the spirits to the light. She said, they're not, they're not evil spirits, they're just lost souls. So I did that. And I was having severe pains where they were so bad that, and they were happening every night, I'd have to get out of bed. And it wasn't like, you know, when you get a, a, a calf muscle cramp up where your fingers will curl up, mm-hmm. they would go the opposite way. My calf muscles would curl up, but my toes would curl outward, hmm. like raise up. And, and it would cause the, I forgot what you call the little tendon in front of your shin, okay. but it would cause that to pop out so far, it looked like my fingers sticking out of the front of my shins on both both feet. And this is before you went to Velisca? This was before I went to okay. Velisca. But all that was cleared up in, in March when I did what Cheryl told me to do. Uh-huh. I'd never had it happen since. So I'm telling this story to Paul and Sharon. And again, uh, when Cheryl told me about this, that was in March. And this is September, so you know, several months later. As I'm telling them the story, all of a sudden, my calf muscles start balling up. My fingers start curling, and my toes start pointing upward. And I was in so much pain, I had to sit down. And where this is important is that when things started happening after I returned home, this became an all-everyday or everyday all-night uh, affair where I would have this happen to me every single night until I— Got the, what was going on taken care of. So, but it wasn't Velisca that caused that because you it had it happening before Velisca. So, but what was eerie was that I told that story on that property and it started again. You know, so I think it was around that time when you know when when basically when that voice either when the voice or the growling was recorded or when I'm telling this story, I think it was one of those two moments that whatever it was that one that came home with me decided to come home with me. Okay, and I think that it—I I can't say because I can't prove it, but possibly it caused that to happen. Right, and a lot of people have asked this before too. Like, okay, so Larry, let's just let's just give an example here. Larry uh, had something come home with him. Joe had something go home with him from Velisca. Mary had something go home with her from Velisca. The question is, it can't be the same thing so how many evil entities or what is there is going home with folks or is it the same entity is it the same thing attaching itself to people and finding its way back that's a question that a lot of people have well part of that question will be answered um in the final segment of this when i went to see see cheryl the the psyche oh my gosh yeah she answered part of that for me um (laughs) but uh, yeah you're right um and is there one thing there, or is there multiple things there? Uh, yeah. and, and myself, I think there's multiple things there. That's scary. But I think they're they're related. So that's Felisca Part One. Well, can I add just one more thing? That okay. It'll add to our next shows. 
Um, this kind of was, was before I went there, but there were two premonitions. One premonition we heard Cheryl the Psychic talk about, right, right, which right. was um, her spirit guide said that if I continued to delve into the supernatural, there would be two places that would get, cause me harm. One would be in Iowa, one would be in Kansas, and of course, Velisca is in Kansas. Um, a few days. Velisca is in Iowa, I thought. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I said yeah. Kansas. Velisca is in Iowa. Yeah. Sally House is in Kansas. Yeah. So this related to what was going on in Velisca because she said this, there will be a place in Iowa that will cause you harm. Right. And it turned out to be true. Um, before I left, just a few days before I left for the September trip, um, I worked with a, a lady, or I did, at the State Board of Education. Her name was Leslie. And she had a daughter named Ashton, and Ashton is an empath. And we talked about empath mm-hmm. empaths before you and I. Empaths pick up feelings on pe- of people, and they also can absorb those feelings. But she also has sensitivity. And I'd seen her in action several times, so I knew the, I knew the girl was legit. She was a teenager. But anyhow, um, Leslie comes to work one day, and she worked right next to me, and she said, hey, uh, and, and Leslie knew I was going somewhere to do an investigation, but she didn't know where or anything about it. And uh, her daughter, Ashton, she told me, she said, Larry, Ashton had this dream about you. And she said, then I must tell you before you go on your investigation. And in her dream, she saw a small, white, two-story house. And again, the mother didn't know where I was going, and neither did the daughter. She said when, when she herself, in this dream, entered the house, she saw me. She couldn't tell what I was doing, but she said that I was walking through the house as if I was looking for something, which was exactly what I was doing, you know. I was looking for those footsteps, for one thing. Uh, but anyhow, she said behind me was a dark, shadowy figure that followed me everywhere I went. She said that it was waiting for the right opportunity to do harm to me. And uh, my friend, you know, Leslie reiterated that her daughter was insistent that she tell me about the dream before I went and to be very careful. And if I felt something was, wasn't right, I should leave the house. Um, what she saw again, is exactly what Reverend Kelly described, the black shadowy figure that he saw, and later on, when I returned home, would also see, and and so would some other people, uh, including my wife Kathy, would see shadowy figures in the house. So those premonitions were related. But I'll I'll be honestly tell you that that's concerned me a little bit, but with the excitement of going to do the investigation, the filming of the documentary— I'd forgot all about what what uh, she had told me her daughter had said, you know, but it, it, it totally was relevant. And where will part two uh, begin uh, next week? Part two will will pick up where when I return home and after how, this investigation, after the investigation okay. and how things slowly started to steamroll into some very, very bad and scary stuff. All right, guys, that is uh, part one of the Velisca House 2008 investigation with Larry Wilson. Uh, again, uh, that the. the I half I just, half believe that this podcast, when you go to play it back, it didn't record <laughs> uh, because something always happens. <laughs> Some, something did happen. I just didn't tell you about it during the broad. I didn't tell you about it. No kidding. Yeah. So yeah, what, did you see me? Did you notice me doing stuff over here at all? While yeah, I was kind of like not. I, I did. And I thought you were just fidgeting. You know. No, 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 no. So yeah, something. So so while yeah, we're, while you know we're in a studio where the radio station is still doing stuff. Well, some something that was supposed to play wasn't playing. And someone texted me about it. Did you know? I was looking at my phone too. Like, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Someone said, "Hey, that's not playing." So I had to go in and fix it. So I don't know if that has anything to do with. Well, this will be discussed too later in later episodes <laughs> because um, it, several times when I've talked about the Velisca, High, uh, Velisca House on live TV and yeah. radio, yeah, it's happened. Yeah. 
bad things have happened. It's crazy, guys, and uh, I can't wait for for next week in part two, uh, the paranormal pursuit. Again, this has been Velisca House part one. Don't forget to subscribe, guys, to these podcasts. You can always catch them on your free mobile app, 997 The Mix. Go to the Morning Mix page and find the Bonzi Bites. Thanks for listening, everyone, and be sure to tune in again next week as Bonzi and I once again pull the string and unravel more mysteries of the paranormal. But until then, happy hauntings.